Spirits of French Lick is proud to introduce the Lee Sinclair Four Grain Bottled and Bond Bourbon. This four-year-age, double-pot distilled, non-chill filtered bourbon has creamy, round, and lifting notes with caramel and vanilla, followed by apple, mint, graham cracker, and ginger, as well as cardamom. The finish is slightly French walnut, resolving the sweet, fruity, almost ground cherry and white pepper. Our spirits are available for tasting and purchase inside the French Lick Winery and Distillery. Spirits of French Lick. Respect the grain. Please enjoy responsibly. Hey, Scotchy Bourbon Boys. This is Tiny to tell you about the new Dant Crossing. Dant Crossing is a -a one-of-a-kind destination to make lasting memories with family and friends. The pastoral campus is anchored by Logstill Distillery, where you can enjoy their truly outstanding Monk's Road spirit. Enjoy world-class entertainment at their outdoor amphitheater, The Amp. Stay overnight at one of their unique lodging options. Host an unforgettable experience at their 18,000-square-foot wedding and events venue. And enjoy acres of wooded walking trails and a 12-acre fishing lake. More attractions will open soon at Dant Crossing, including a fully functional private train depot and farm-to-table restaurant. For more information, go to www.dantcrossing.com. Another exciting podcast of the Scotchy Bourbon Boys. That was Kenny Fuller of the Luca Mariano Old Americana Band doing our theme song. Thank you, Kenny. Tonight, we have a very, very special podcast. I I think uh, we've got Greg Schneider, Master Distiller of Chicken Cock Whiskey, and we also have CT. Welcome, you guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks, buddy. How's everybody doing tonight? So this is this is my take, okay? I believe I was counting back that you are kind of like you, you know like there's people who host Saturday Night Live and there's all those guest hosts like Tom Hanks and all the people who did it multiple times and they kind of Christopher Walken and certain different ones. Well, you are I believe now you take it Walken. yeah, because I believe this is your eighth time on the podcast. Now Bishop was you were tied with Alan Bishop at seven, so you've got the you've got it uh, you've got the number one spot for us. So <laughs> welcome to the podcast. I mean, it's always always a pleasure. I always have a lot of fun with you guys, and uh, you know you guys do uh, do a great job promoting uh, not just chicken cock, but but all the entire 
you know, whiskey industry. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And the, the part that I love about, you know, we were just talking uh, a little bit uh, pre podcast and, you know, when you were, I mean, you had just laid down, I believe when, when we kind of, uh, when you were kind of paying attention to what we were doing, uh, you had just laid down your first batch that prior March. I think that's what it was as far as starting to distill. What was the year that you actually started distilling at uh, the brand, you know, the Chickencock brand at the Bardstown Bourbon Company? It was actually 2018, early 2018. 2018. Okay. And then we kind of, uh, it was, yeah, right. It was it was too early to like March, right? Or was it February? Uh, it was March. Of yeah, the, so 2018. And then when you came on, I, it, your first time, yeah, it was 2020. So you had done it for, you had been doing it for a little, for two years. You had put down. Right. And uh, that March you were putting down uh, another batch and talking about, I think you were starting rye, correct? Also putting down some rye? Yes, exactly. Yep. So. So one of the cool things was, is that the brand, uh, there wasn't, it, it hadn't been promoted to, you were just starting your promotion. You know, you were starting to get whiskey and I had seen it in 2019 at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival when I was down there at uh, Tootie's or what is it? What's the, the famous? Tootie's. Tootie's, yes. I had seen it and I don't remember. I don't remember which one it was, but I think it was hundred and thirty-five dollars. <laughs> and so it had been. I had seen it, and I didn't know. And like anybody else, you know, when you hear the, you look at a brand, and it's called Chicken Cock, and there's a chicken on it, and everything. Uh, you're just kind of intrigued overall. What is that, right? Now the bottle, you know, that's one thing that we want to get into. Uh, the design, I think. And tonight I wanted to, if you could see here, I wanted to showcase the bottles because I think they're probably, uh, as far as your, you know, you've got your everyday bottle, the the main bottle that's on your small batch, and then you've got your specialty bottles. And all of them are, are well thought out and the glass is just absolutely beautiful. I mean, you could just see it here if you light it properly. It's almost like a talking point, right? Yeah, it's it's an attractive package, but uh, you know, truth be known, um, none of the the current group can really take any credit for it. Those bottles, both bottle designs, there are actually replicas of pre-prohibition bottles the chicken cock used many many years ago. And so, uh, you know, back then they were pint sizes, uh, but we just blew it up from a pint to a seven fifty milliliter and just replicated the the bottle itself. Did uh was that during um, Miller's time or White's time? Uh, White's time, yeah. Uh, Mr. Miller, James Miller, who actually uh, built the distillery, the original distillery in Paris, Kentucky in 1856, um, he passed away shortly into uh, uh, into that venture, uh, a couple years into it. And so actually, they when weren't. he passed away, business was actually acquired by uh, a group of guys. Uh, George G. White was one of his clerks and a uh, very faithful, loyal clerk that uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Miller had set, left some money, but it wasn't enough to, to buy the whole distillery. So he picked up some investors and, and uh, collectively they, they bought the distillery. And, and uh, that's when they really started promoting the famous old brand, as they called it, James A. Miller's Chicken Cock Whiskey. Yeah. And, that, and that's OK. Go ahead, Chris. 
No, I was just going to say, and, and the bottles are, they're, they're so cool. And the more you look at them, it's like you realize that the, 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 the small batch and the, uh, uh, the barrel, the single barrel that we got, they have that same design, but it's like a honeycomb. Um, it literally looks like a honeycomb all the way around that bottle. Yeah, because it's so so funny. So a lot, a lot of people come up and say, "Oh, look at the honeycomb. Is that got honey in it?" I said, "No, it's that mimics chicken wire." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> got it. Yeah. So that yeah. was from the original design, pre pre prohibition. Uh, they got to put that embossing in the glass and a mimic chicken wire. Oh, that's 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 yeah. cool. I forgot the, that the it was chicken wire. Yeah, the bottle's definitely in person, and the little like. Jeff, yours there have the, the the caps on them that almost look like shot glasses, basically. The black one on the double oak is like, I just want some of those just to have. <laughs> that one's cool as crap. The embossing on, on that special bottle, Chris, that's that's actually called a starburst pattern that we, we call on the, uh, the embossing of that special bottle. But yeah, that's that's actually called a jigger cap. The, uh, uh, yeah. the, the metal and you can use it as a shot glass if you want. Yeah, that's what it, it literally looks like. You're at a campfire and you're like, hey, I got a glass. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you got a voice for that one when you're at the campfire and you got a glass? Me? <laughs> yeah, I would think there's like a cowboy voice involved with that one. Hey, partner. Well, get you over here, you little lady. We'll get you for this little black cat. Just check out CT's face when he does his voices. It's so priceless. I love it. It's like he's going to be known for his voices because I'm going to I'm no, going to push not. it. Yeah, you are. There, no. I've never met anybody who who's done voices like that before. But well, I have I have three kids, and my oldest daughter started out loving Dora the Explorer. Well, to enter, entertain her because she was by herself before my others were born, I had to learn to talk like everything that she enjoyed, whether it was something on a cartoon just to entertain her. So, you know, you just learn to have a little fun with it. But my cowboy voice does actually suck. So I can't say anything about that. I haven't heard a voice yet. (laughs) I'm not going to say they suck, but they're, but they amuse me to no end. I just, they're just like, when you start doing it, it's just like every time it's funnier. So keep it up. All right. You must, be, you must be proficient at Bert and Ernie and, and the Cookie Monster. And, um, uh, Elmo. Elmo is actually a good one, one of my best ones. And it's so bad that my uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter's her sister with her with her mom, uh, they that her their her sister loves Elmo. So one year for her birthday, I called her as Elmo, and she actually thought it was Elmo. I mean, there you go. That's cool. Now I'm. It's hard to do now as I'm getting older. My voice is oh, deepening, yeah. and it's hard to get that that uh, that note. But uh, I'll, I'll resort. I'll probably go more to the Western cowboy voice the more I go. <laughs> Pooh, it's, it's a little easier to get down in those. Lips. I used to do Winnie the Pooh, Barney. Believe it or not, I do Barney. Yep. And then also I did Grover, but. Uh, that's, you and, resemble Grover now that yeah, you say Yeah, thanks. It. And then I would say you all heard me my my chicken crow at dinner that one night. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty lame. It was a dead chicken. That's pretty well, funny. Now that I know that you like uh Barney, I'll I'll definitely get that one going. <laughs> Holy kids. 
Now we're doing Barney. We need to drink. (laughs) It's time to start (laughs) drinking, right? Uh, So we're we're, to get back on on track. Okay. So you, we know uh, you've been on Greg a lot. Uh, Your history. You've pretty much been at. You've been at a lot of major distilleries. Uh, You've been. I mean, you just talk about. I mean, just go quickly. Through like the you know where you and we all it was at Seagrams, then you went to uh, old for or yeah old Forester right or which is Brown and Foreman, Brown Foreman yeah, yeah. Brown Foreman so have, so take it from there real quick so everybody knows I mean what what your background is I mean it's so yeah, well, extensive. Yeah, a lot of people ask that you know how do you get in the industry how do you be you know. Uh, in the whiskey industry to begin with, but then how do you become a, a master distiller, so to speak? And so, um, you know, it's just kind of a, a stroke of faith, I guess. I have a business degree from Indiana University. And in 1978, when I graduated, uh, I started my first job uh, as a frontline supervisor for Joseph E. Seagram's son in Louisville, Kentucky. They had a facility there. And and I was very blessed, very fortunate. They had a program that if you learn quickly, pick things up, uh, and wanted to learn, uh, they kind of slid you into a fast track. So I, I literally got to work in every every single department within that plant uh, over the five-year span it was open. They eventually shut it down because, you know, 1978, early 80s, the industry was declining and slowly declining. And so what happened was a lot of the, the companies, they decided to consolidate. So they shut down some of their production facilities and consolidated. And uh, uh, so anyhow, that's uh, it, was a, it was a great training ground for me and it kind of laid the foundation for, for my future and my career. So, um, so yeah, after I left there, I went to work for, for Brown Foreman, started out managing their bottling operation on the afternoon shift, did that for a little over a year, got promoted, was managing their, um, their dry good inventory, any, any of the bottles, boxes, the labels, anything that came in for the bottling operation. And then that role was expanded to all the wet goods too. Not only all the dry goods for bottling, but, uh, Tank trucks coming from Collingwood, Canada, of Canadian Mist that we bottled in Louisville. Um, you know, tank trucks coming up from um, uh, Mexico with Pepe Lopez tequila. And likewise, I had responsibility for the early times warehouse and, and all the whiskey out there aging. So, um, great. Again, yeah, just took what I had learned initially at Seagram's and just kind of enhanced it and, and drew my knowledge base a little bit more after that. But eventually I got promoted and they sent me out to the Cooperage. Um, you know, Brown Foreman at that time was the only distillery that, that actually owned their own cooperage and uh, it was called Bluegrass Cooperage at the time. But I went out there as director of operations and, and actually was out there for, for nine years. So, you know, in the span of 45 years, I've been in the business, you know, I've, I've made whiskey, I've aged whiskey, I've bottled ship whiskey, but I've also made barrels. And uh, that barrel is extremely important, as, as I've told you guys on this, mm-hmm. this show before, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the flavor. And a great bottle of whiskey comes from that white oak barrel. So it's a critical component in making a high-quality whiskey. Um, from For Brown Foreman, I left and I went to work. Uh, Pernod Ricard at the time owned Wild Turkey. And I became vice president of Austin Nichols and a managing director at Wild Turkey. So as my, my friends lovingly call me, I was a head turkey uh, in, in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky there. Um, it was great. Uh, you know, Jimmy Russell, who's a dear friend uh, of mine, worked for me for, during that 10-year t- span. And, and uh you know, when you get around guys like Jimmy, you know, you just turn into a sponge and you soak up all you can and learn what you can because they, they've done it. You know, they're the guys. He's really the last of true master distillers that grew up with corn dust under their fingernails, making a whiskey and, and, and truly knowing uh, their, their trade. 
Um, from there, I left and actually went up to Maine for three years. And there was a company up there called uh, White Rock Distilleries. A lot of people aren't familiar. It's a, it was a small, privately owned company. But uh, the big brand was there when I worked there was Pinnacle Vodka. Uh, a lot of people, you know, recognize mm-hmm. Pinnacle Vodka. We actually created the dessert category of, of uh, flavored whiskey. We, we had a lot of different uh, flavors, but they were more designed to dirt, dessert flavor. You know, we came out with Pinnacle Whipped while I was there. It's a whipped cream flavor vodka, and it smelled and tasted like whipped cream. It was, it was phenomenal. Uh, but that one flavor alone in the first 12 months, it sold, sold over uh, 750,000 cases, just that, that Pinnacle Whipped in the first year that was on the, on the shelf. So pretty phenomenal story. Um, the owner, uh, Paul Colomb, sold the business in 2012 to uh, Jim Beam, and uh, they bought the Pinnacle Vodka, a small rum brand, and the plant assets. And they asked me if I would move back to Kentucky and head up the transition of those brands into their Frankfurt uh, bottling facility. So I did that took a little over a year and then had an opportunity to leave. And I went to work for a company down in Bowling Green, Kentucky called uh, Western Spirits. I was their uh, vice president of operations, Western Spirits, again, small privately owned company. Um, you know, their biggest brand is Bird Dog Whiskies, uh, but they also own Calumet Farm Bourbon, Sam Houston Bourbon. So uh, some good, good high-end bourbons as well. Um, was living and working in Bowling Green uh, during the week and driving back home to Southern Indiana on weekends. So after doing that for three and a half years, it uh, just got more difficult. My wife was having some health issues. So I decided to ramp up my retirement plan that was not retired, but start my own consulting company. And so in uh, summer of 2017, June of 2017, I actually uh, started my own consulting company. And uh, I've, I've worked with a number of different companies uh, uh, over the past what five and a half, almost six years now. Uh, but Grain and Barrel Spirits, who owns Chicken Cock, was, was one of the first first companies that uh, I hooked up as a client. And I was helping them with some supply chain issues, some operational stuff. Uh, but one day the founder came to me and he shared his vision of wanting to resurrect Chicken Cock back to Kentucky and bring it back to its high quality prominence the brand was known for for many, many years. And so uh, that's how I got connected with uh, with Grain and Barrel Spirits and Chicken Cock and and, uh, you know, everything we've done over the last uh, five and a half plus years has been focused on that objective of bringing the brand back to its high quality prominence. Wow. <laughs> it's just like yeah. when you just lay it down and then, I mean, you, you know, you've told all the, you've told many stories about being in the industry and like the sponge that you are. Uh, what, what you said at the start when you went into the company and you show if they fast tracked you because you were showing all the prominent things that somebody so that just that somebody who's going to go forward had you know that's the kind of people they're looking for i i honestly want to say that's still the case today when i'm when i'm hiring into my plant the people that i'm bringing in i might not get at this point the quality as many quality people as even I was getting in 2015 through 2017, but I still look for that glimmer of, I'm always looking for that, that work ethic that they're willing, you know, they might not have everything together, but they got a work ethic. And and it's kind of the same thing, what you're looking for with young kids. And it's not like you want them to, you know, when you were hired in on your, you know, right then and there, you they knew you were going to go forward and think about how many different places you've been over the years, you know, to advance because you're a hard worker. 
And that was what we've uh, wanted. That's how I wanted to bring this in. And it's something that even now, promoting the brand, the Chicken Cock brand, the work that you're putting in is based off the experience of seeing all the people that you've worked with over the years and all their marketing, because you're always paying attention. You had you had to be because if you weren't paying attention, the the, the whole thing will let you will go by you because there's like you said, you start out in bottling and end up at the cooperage. They're always you know that's that's your way. When someone leaves you or gets promoted, you have those places to fill, and there's so many different places to fill. But what I wanted to say is, I've always known from the day I met you that you're hardworking. You do, I mean, even even the tastings that you're doing and how you go about the sales as far as going to the, the stores and doing the signing. I mean, talk about that and its importance in the whiskey industry today. You know, and you know, you pick that up from Booker and Fred, and I mean they were they've always, you know, they go on the road. They do the, you know, it's- they were. Go ahead, see. That's that it's it's that grassroots marketing that more people are realizing that that's definitely the way to get out and get your brand out there over you know and not just in whiskey and so many things because advertising is extremely extremely expensive and oversaturated to where it's not effective. Yes, especially in today's culture, you know, with the last what 10, 12 or plus years that the, the whiskey industry has really boomed, the bourbon industry has really boomed. Um, you know, you got to remember, I got into it in 1978 and it was on a decline. I saw a bottom out in the 1980s and they had a couple little upward blips in the late 90s, early or late 80s, early 90s with the Japanese economy doing well and then Australian economy. And but then truly the, the the boom actually just has been over the last I don't know, 12, or, 12 or so years. And it, it's very gratifying. But to that point, there's so many more people. Today's whiskey drinkers, today bourbon drinkers are so much more educated. And they what they were 15, 20 years ago. And yeah. and they thirst for knowledge. And I, I thrive on it. It is it's you guys know. You you see me in, in my element when I, I get to talk about the brand and my passion for it. And um, you know, people ask great questions. And uh, that just kind of fuels what what I like to tell people and, and answer those questions and, and uh give them a little more in-depth uh, information than, than they typically could get. So yeah, those opportunities to go out. I mean, it's I'm having fun when I do that. You you've seen me. Both yeah. of you guys have seen me, like I said, uh, in, in that element, and uh, it's enjoyable. Um, but to, to get out, meet people that are genuine and, and truly interested in, in the brand and in and, and the category itself, and, and great bourbon whiskey, great rye whiskey, um, and, and willing to try things. So um, it's it, it's been a blessing. I've, I've been very fortunate. I find that the 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 average bourbon consumer right now has so much to choose from there's so many blenders categories the explosion is is real i mean what was on the shelf even a year ago there's probably 20 30 more brands that have infiltrated you know and chicken cocks one of the brands that has come onto the shelf in ohio and by somebody meeting you and you explain the history, but then your passion, when they're going to make that choice, yeah. they're going to remember you opposed to, 
you know, somebody they haven't met. Or there's brands uh, on the on the shelf that I know, you know, are probably good, but I've not met anybody from the distillery or talked to them. So a lot of times making that decision, I'm going to pick the people I know and I know what, what you're doing. And you've specifically explained <laughs> the best, I think, that anybody has explained it to us. I think Alan's up there as far as when he distills and what he's doing with pot still. But as far as brand marketing, you've kind of, you know, when you're going out and doing the signings and everything, it's just you're more, what would you say, old school and Alan's more grassroots. But you make that those decisions based off of, the you know, there's so much good whiskey out there and it's good. And there's some bad, but there's good whiskey out there. So when someone's going to make that choice, what's going to be the difference, right? And, what well, and if, when you're talking to somebody like if, if he's doing if Greg's at an event and with his knowledge and everything, it's it it's very hard not to be sucked into wanting to hear the stories and listening to everything he has to say. And I think that's like we all do. We love the dinners and stuff because we get to hear the stories and not just about chicken cock, but about whiskey in general and I think that's what people gravitate towards is people that are as passionate about the the business as they are or want to be. So now that we talked about that and you let's talk about what you've done as far as, you know, he says, I want to revive this brand. And one, that's a huge thing to revive a brand. I mean, it's not something that, you know, one yeah, anybody can distill, put put it in a bottle and label it, but you have to have the support and everything. So as far as making the whiskey uh, and your idea initially to what you were going to do and where you're at now, kind of describe how it evolved. You know, it's there was no script. I mean, really no planned script or anything. It's just one of those things when, when uh, Body shared his vision of wanting to resurrect back to Kentucky. You know, we talked about the options. And um, I think luckily I was able to convince them that the best option, because again, Brain and Barrel Spirits is a small company, very small company. They don't own their own distillery. They don't own a, any you know operational assets like a bottling operation or barrel warehouses. Uh, and so early on, uh, especially early on, even today, they're, they're still very dependent on cash flow. Now, Mahdi acquired this brand back in 2011. Chickacock brand. It, it had sat idle for, for about 60 years uh, when the story, original story burnt down and uh, the company don't decide not to rebuild. So the brand sat idle. And so he was looking for a whiskey brand. He did a lot of research and ran across the history. And that's part of the beauty of Chickacock. It's got a great story. It's got a tremendous history and a great story. And, you know, part of what I do is telling that story in, in a way that, that, as you said, kind of draws people in and they, they seem interested and uh, it's pretty cool when you talk about the, you know the, the whole history and what it's been through over the years but when he bought the brand in 2011 he needed cash flow so in 2012 he came out with chicken cock on the shelf chicken cock whiskey was is actually some very young six-month-old whiskey he put it in an aluminum bottle and he flavored it and i think they had several different flavors root beer cinnamon several different flavors and it served its purpose it created cash flow but it, it was not representative of 
the quality the brand was known for for many, many, many years. And so, uh, and, and Monty knew that, but he needed cash flow and he has investors too that he has to satisfy. And so, again, it served his purpose. But when I started uh, consulting in 2017 and was helping him with a few things uh, with another brand they have, uh, that's when he came to me and shared that vision of wanting to resurrect it back in Kentucky and truly bring it back to its high quality prominence. And that's the first thing I told him. I said, if you're serious about this, and he asked me to serve in the role of master seller, I said, I'll do it on one condition. Stop buying this young crap and really focus. Everything we do, our objective is to bring this brand back to its high quality prominence. And so that's, again, that's what we've been working on. So the first thing I did was we, we Marty agreed that uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company was, was going to be our distiller. That's where we were going to make, because they have a, a unique program called a collaborative distillation program. And we've talked about this on the show before. We're basically giving them the mash bills. But I also give them all the work instructions, time and temperatures I want to cook the grains, the enzymes, yeast I want to use, the, the um, specifications for fermentation, beer chemistry, and distillation. And then, as you guys know, I actually take it all the way to the beginning. I actually select the logs that we're going to build the barrels out of. Uh, they cut those staves in the heading. We sit outside for you know, 10 to 12 months, and then about a week and a half before we make our whiskey down in Bardstown that I oversee, I go back out to... Uh, the cooperage and oversee the process of the barrel making to ensure that every barrel is built, instructed properly, every barrel is posted to a medium plus properly, every barrel is charred to a number three level char, that they're following our specifications, every single barrel, not just a few of them, every single one. And so uh, luckily the brand's small enough, there's going to come a time when the brand grows that I won't be able to do that. It just won't be you know physically and logistically possible. Um, you know, at that point we'll, we'll pass on those, those uh, specifications. And, you know, we'll check in from time to time, but just need to make sure that uh, they're following those specifications to uh, meet our needs and, and maintain the quality of whiskey. So. So uh, how uh, when you when you brought that up in 2017, Bardstown Bourbon Company, I believe it was a concept in 2012, correct? And they had just opened in 2016, was it? That's correct. 2016 is when they made their first drop of whiskey. That's right. Now, were you like aware of that the whole time living, you know, kind of knowing what they were doing as far as contracting? So it kind of was. Yes. So how, how I've got a great relationship with those folks, as, as you all know. And, and um, it actually started in the prior to 2016. I, I was vice president of operations at, at uh, Western Spirits, as I was telling you, down in Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. And likewise, they're a small company. They don't own their own distillery, and, and they were depending on other distilleries to make their whiskey for them based on their specifications. And, uh, you know, a lot of the distilleries were, were having some, some uh, you know, demand, supply-demand issues, and, and they just were tapped out on their own capacity, and they, they couldn't make whiskey for Western Spirits. So I started doing some searching, and uh, uh, when I heard about what uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company was doing, I reached out to Steve Daly, their master distiller. You know, Steve's a, a old dear friend of mine. I've probably known Steve close to 40 years and a uh, guy. And so uh, we started chatting and they hooked me up with uh, their top management folks. And, and so that's how we got, got going. And actually uh, they started making whiskey for, for Western spirits. So that's how I really got connected with them initially. And then when I started doing the consulting thing and, and uh, you know, uh, we needed to find a, a reputable distillery that can make our whiskey and work with us and allow me to give some oversight to it. Um, you know, they were the perfect choice and they're location wise. I mean, they're, they're right on the bourbon trail. It's, it's uh, for exposure, brand exposure. It can be better. And they're a great group. As you know, I, I, I 
sing their praises all the time. They've assembled probably the best team in the industry. Their equipment is, is high tech and they make high quality whiskey consistently day in and day out. Hey, Greg, at that, at that time when you guys started, when you started using them to do the, the process, were they doing others at that point or were you one of the groundbreaking? No, they, they, I think even today, they, they only have probably 20 some odd, maybe 25, 26 customers at Brown. Then they had probably 20. Um, but yeah, their capacity is tapped out right now. I mean, as we speak, they're actually adding another 50% capacity. They're building a whole new distillery right there on site. Even even um, more than what they just added, right? I mean, they just yes. up, got those cookers and those fermenters up. It's insane. They have a, they bought the land. There's no doubt about it. I remember in 2019 thinking, you know, you saw you, when you came off the exit, the, this was this giant open field with one risk Rick house and the distillery there. And now it's just completely filled. The distillery is hard to see. Plus there's more, it just keeps going forever. Then they open the bottling. And then, I mean, it's just, uh, what, what was it when in, and initially when they were doing it, most people thought that that wasn't a really good model. I mean, they got criticized for their vision. And obviously, the people who said that were completely and totally wrong. Now, if the bourbon boom didn't happen quite the same way as it's happening now, they might not have, but it did. And and you can't argue. I mean... Well, you look at most successful companies, and, and somewhere along the line, they've had some great vision that panned out perfectly. And that this is a, a perfect example of that. You know, they started out, uh, their first phase one was going to be 25,000 barrels, is what going to be their capacity. Before they even finished phase one, and even before they made their first drop of whiskey, they already started into phase two um, to, to expand because they had the demand for it. And then before they finished phase two, they started phase three. And, and so right now, there's somewhere around 120,000 barrels of whiskey they can make a year. And they're adding, adding another distillery, a whole different separate distillery operation and fermenting room. Uh, they're adding another 60,000 barrels. So in addition to that, they bought a 300 acre farm just down the road and uh, they're building uh, all their warehouses. Uh, the next warehouse is going over there on that 300 acre farm. So and they've, uh, they've, they've done well. They've, they've thought through it and, and planned it properly and it's all come to fruition. And let's, when we were, Go, go ahead. Let's go ahead, not Jeff. forget they bought Green River. Just, <laughs> That's right. And within this past year, they, they bought Green River Distillery as well. Yeah. Which, hey, well, Bardstown Bourbon Company got bought out by an investment group out of Chicago. Yes. Yes. And and and, uh, and I don't know. It was uh, undisclosed. They, they paid a lot of money. I understand. And and uh, and then this past year, uh, you know, again, these are these are investors, people that are, are very very well off and uh, they see the value in it and they're willing yeah. to invest some, some big dollars in it. So. Well, the initial well, investors, that's insane. They're all, they're all taking their money and making other distilleries. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. It, it's funny when we were down there, when, when Greg met us down there during bourbon festival, the Kentucky bourbon festival, I, I think they constructed a complete Rick house in the time that we did the tour. <laughs> they're, just, they're putting them up so fast it's, it's, it's oh, amazing yeah those, those i came out and it was like it's done <laughs> <laughs> that's about that's about it and and just the people i i mean it's kind of like 
Uh, Bardstown's becoming the the equivalent to bourbon equivalent of Silicon Valley to computers. I mean, it's just insane what what's going on there. I mean, even you know, if you anytime you do a deep dive into and you get to know and get some inside information, not that I'm sitting there gonna, but you start to see the picture. Uh, there's a lot of smart people behind what's going on in that area. There's no doubt. All right, so we we haven't even tasted any whiskey. So let's let's talk about the first. We'll start off with the 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 newest release, your Double Oak, because talk about now. CT doesn't have any. I'm sorry, I wasn't able that Saturday, but go ahead. I'm gonna just drink small batch while you're drinking that Double Oak, and I'll there you dream go. about it. I'll dream about it. Hey, look, I'm drinking out a glass. Do you recognize that glass? There you go. Yeah, I know where you got that glass. Yeah, it's one of it's one that survived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun night that night. We actually, uh, just when we did a, a whiskey dinner uh, here, not too far. It's actually where, where my son lives over in a, it's a fuzzy Zeller golf course community, actually, a covered bridge in Sellersburg, Indiana. I mean, we had a big turnout. We had... It was like 98 people, I think, showed up to this thing. It was great, great food, but we had, uh, had a lot of fun that night, and everybody enjoyed themselves. It was a cigar and, and whiskey dinner that night, but it was, it was a fun night. I, I, I really treasure that night because I got to meet your whole family, and yeah. uh, I felt that, you know, I got treated like I was part of your family. Uh, you know, what Chris did and uh, meeting your daughter and your wife, that was that was fantastic. I appreciated yeah. you sharing that with me and allowing me to come down there because, you know, you probably thought I was nuts driving all that way, but it, it was, it's a night that I, I, I will always remember. You did drive all that way. It's, uh, it's the least we can do. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, let me tell you a little backstory on the double O. So this goes back, um, it's eight years old. So it goes back to 2014. Okay, it came out at the end of, uh, we bottled it in December of 2022 uh, last year. So 2014, there was a barrel shortage. Okay. Uh, it was a situation where the fall of 2013, the winter of 2013 and the 14, and then the spring of 2014, we had so much rain east of the Mississippi. The ground was saturated. And the loggers couldn't get in the woods to harvest the white oak. And so they got delayed in harvesting a lot of wood. And so essentially that created a shortage of staves and heading for all the cooperages to build enough barrels to meet the demand. So long about September of 2014, because I remember I was still, I was vice president of operations at Western Spirits. And we got about a couple thousand barrels that we had planned to have produced that year. But we didn't get produced because we didn't have barrels. And so all these distilleries, especially the big distilleries, you know, they had made all this bourbon. But you got to remember the criteria for bourbon. To be a yep. bourbon whiskey, it has to go in a new charred oak barrel. They couldn't get barrels. And they had all this whiskey, the tanks full of whiskey. They had their grain silos full of grain. They had supply chain, trucks of grain coming in. They had employees they had to keep working. So they kept making whiskey, kept making what they planned to be bourbon whiskey because it's their same recipe, the same mash bill that they made to bourbon. But now they ended up putting it in used barrels because they didn't have any new barrels. The barrel it, they had to put it in used barrels. And so they could call it whiskey, but they couldn't call it um, Kentucky bourbon whiskey because it didn't go in a new barrel. So anyhow, this whiskey, there's quite a bit of it out there on the market. 
so in 2021, the founder of Grain and Barrel Spirits, he, he was able to acquire some of this. He wanted to come out with a new uh, presence on the shelf, new skew to give us wider uh, exposure of chicken cock brands on the shelf. He was going to come out with chicken cock, uh, Kentucky straight whiskey, seven years old. And he, he bought a couple of tank trucks. We didn't get the barrels. They dumped the barrels. And we got the whiskey. So we got a couple of tank trucks, probably close to 14,000 gallons, actually, to be exact. And so can I ask it, I taste it. Just yeah, the, go ahead. the Western, was that part, any of it part of the Western that you had made while you were there? Was that part of that reserve or was it? Other no, reserve? no, that was okay. separate. That was a separate, uh, separate entity. Okay. So anyhow, uh, Monty bought this and he asked me to taste it and I tasted it and it was just too green. I said, you know, this, this is not representative of our objective of bringing the brand back to its high quality prominence. And, and so we talked about the options and I said, probably the best option, because he, he was going to call it chicken cock Kentucky straight whiskey. And I said, you know, the best option 2021 now, we got barrels. Let's go ahead and buy some barrels. Uh, they weren't the barrels that I typically spend a lot of time in, in nurture and, and select logs in that, but we were able to acquire some, some barrels on the open market. We bought some new barrels, and we put that whiskey back into a barrel. We put those barrels on the seventh floor of the warehouse down there in Bardstown. And in the summer of 2022, it was fantastic for Asian whiskey. We had over 85 days. The temperatures exceeded 90 degrees, which is a phenomenal summer to be Asian whiskey. I mean, it was driving that whiskey deep in that wood and pulling out as much flavor as it could. So it was in there over a year, close to close to 18 months, I believe, in the new barrel. And I tasted it as, wow, this is so much better. So that's that's what you're tasting uh, in this particular um, offering right now. And we called it. I said, you know, instead of calling it Kentucky Straight Whiskey, now we can call it chicken cotton double O because it's actually been in two different barrels and, and the flavor is just really, you know, it's, it's phenomenal compared to what the original stuff out of the used barrel was. So. Right. And from the marketing standpoint, and you guys understand what is the hot thing in, in bourbon these days, double oaking, you know, yeah. double barreling. I mean, that's what it is. And it's, it's a unique story because you basically did the opposite of what more what would happen to bourbon is you'd age it in the new to start and then put it into either a used barrel another used barrel to finish it, but in this case you use the finishing barrel first and then put it in the new barrel and it's also when you wrap your mind around it it's kind of like thinking about putting new make into a new barrel and waiting eighteen months and to think where you're at but when you actually put whiskey that aged for seven years in a used barrel and it's not something that's being done consistently and the result is i would say very good i mean it's unique right it is good it's uh it's actually 92 proof and and the uh, the srp on it's uh around a hundred dollars and again you know what it tasted like in seven years coming out of that used barrel it was not Again, not representative what, of the quality we're trying to achieve, number one, but definitely not worth $100. What was the entry level when it went into the second barrel? What was the proof? Uh, it, it was uh, just under 125 I think it was somewhere around 123 something like that. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. All right. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm a fan. <laughs> I can actually say I am a fan. Uh, you wouldn't think... I wasn't sure what to think with that night. Now, I admit, I like uh, what's really kind of uh, 
you know, I've since I've gotten my barrel thief, and I got to get my thief into one of your barrels soon. <laughs> but since I bought my whiskey thief, uh, everywhere I go, it doesn't matter what distillery, small, large, whatever. I always ask, and and usually they oblige. And one of the things that uh, dis- master d- distillers is it's always when it tastes chilled. Now I haven't thiefed from the top shelf in the middle of the summer. I'm sure that's probably warm whiskey, but most of the time when I'm thiefing from those bottom areas or at the, it's chilled and it always one you're you're tasting it in the rick house or your or the barrel room or whatever and. That makes it taste better, but then that little bit of the chill. So I'm starting to become a fan of chilled whiskey. So there's a couple nights I just pop the, the bottle into the freezer for about 10, 15 minutes, and I, I enjoy it. That night, that was pretty good. All right, so let's go to uh, the first ever barrel pick, which talk about yeah. that for Kentucky Bourbon Festival, how it went went about. and then. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier, we uh, last year was the first ever barrel picks the Chicken Cock has ever done. And we, we had some seven-year-old whiskey um, that uh, you know, I personally selected. And while our whiskey was laid down and being aged to become a proper maturation, part of my job was I go out and find good quality whiskey that we can fire, put under the Chicken Cock label to bridge the gap until ours got properly matured. So this is some whiskey that I actually acquired. Seven years old, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, uh, uh, we did 15 barrels, uh, barrel picks for the whole the whole world, basically. And the Kentucky Bourbon Festival got the very first one of the 15. Um, and so um, just phenomenal flavor. So it's all, all barrel proof. Um, I think, what's, that, what's the proof on the one you've got there, Jeff? Uh, mine's 115.1. Yeah, right. they're okay. all going to be that. Yeah, should, yeah, because we had the same. So if that's the one you got, yeah, at the Bourbon Festival, it'd be one fifteen point one. I've got one here that was actually out of the second barrel. It was uh, like one twenty three point nine. So there was a variation in some of them, and uh, but no matter whether it was one fifteen or one twenty three, I mean the flavors. You know, there, there's no dilution whatsoever. By not putting any water in there, cutting it to a specific proof. I mean the flavors just pop, and it's so so much full flavors. People say it's got a great chew to it. I mean, uh... all right, I'm going to, I finished that one and I'm going to have a little bit of the barrel pick. Are you going to have some CT? Uh, I'm going to open mine. I literally still have the plastic on this. So this is the cherry pop as we'll call it for this bottle. Is, <laughs> is your signed? Nope. You know, you know, Greg. It's, I don't need it signed. I know. I know the guy. <laughs> I, I know, but but I had it signed, and this is the first ever chicken cock barrel pick. Okay, it and is. it's from Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I I had to have it. There's no doubt that was the one I knew uh, when Randy yes. told me you guys. The only thing that I missed out was hoping that I could have been on that pick with you guys. That would have been phenomenal. But at the same time, uh, you signed this last year at Kentucky Bourbon Festival for me. It took everything I had <laughs> to open this, but my son was and his friends were on the podcast, 
And we were talking about Chicken Cock that night. I think you were on for a little bit there. And they, you know, being young kids, they were intrigued by the name <laughs> and doing research online and, and anything. But when I gave them a sip of this, you see the level of this bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. They absolutely loved it. It's like, that's the first time I've ever had them on the podcast where they were asking for more. And uh, I was like, I might be able to turn my gin loving son into a bourbon person if I just keep putting, you know, having him. So I, I think uh, he's going to be getting married and he's expecting his uh, son. So I probably would be sending him a, a bottle of something, one of the exp- high end expressions. Well, just so you know, just so you know, that same whiskey, we've got another 20, I think it's like 25 barrels of it. Uh, It'll be eight years after June 1, it'll be eight years old. So this year's barrel picks, the private cask, we've got about 25 barrels instead of 15. And it's the same whiskey, only it's eight years old. And, you know, Jeff, I taste all our whiskey every six months. And, oh, my gosh, it is phenomenal. All right. Well, here we go. I'm open this. <laughs> so how? So do the Scotchy Bourbon Boys have to do a barrel pick with with you? I mean, good luck with that. I you know I don't I don't make those calls. So, so you can. I'd tell, love to. I'd love to. Aren't you gonna? You don't make the calls, but you can put me into the right people, right? I can. I can connect you with the right people. It's yeah, because I, I I know. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the so, fifteen that went out this year. You know, they they went through some some customers that. Uh, Retailers it, it sell quite a bit, so yeah. Um, but didn't did Wisco get the the group get a pick or no? No, no, they no. were just down the, there. The the, the, the still there was Wisconsin got two of the fifteen. Uh, the the distillery got one in, in Richfield, Wisconsin, and then Club Liquor up in uh, Menasha got got the other. Okay, and they they sold out like that. I mean, it was great. I, I was there. I did a I did a bottle signing in both. Uh, facilities both locations and that night at the distillery they had like 160 bottles i believe it was it was in their barrel and i signed every bottle and that night they sold 148 of the 160 and then what was, by the next night they were gone for that for those picks what does the bottle sell for what's the retail uh well i think in the bourbon fest well, i'm not mistaken it was what 140 149 i think it was 149.99 okay and they they range anywhere from, from uh, I think one twenty to to one fifty something like that yeah okay yeah All right. so Greg is that so this year at Kentucky Bourbon Festival with are you going to have another one of those for that I hope so I haven't really talked to uh, uh, the marketing and sales group we got some some new uh, management people in and, and they're kind of sorting some things out but that's a topic for discussion that's going to happen real soon actually yeah you you have to. Uh... Give me the right people too, because I would be wonderful to have you guys sponsor this, yeah. <laughs> sponsor our podcast. I think you're getting down the line far enough where it might happen, right? I think we we can. You know, I, it, it's amazing, and I think I told you this, Jeff, but uh, we had uh, our distributor from Ohio, Heidelberg. Uh, they had a meeting at Barstown Bourbon Company here last month. And I went down and did a tasting on the full line of chicken cock for them. There were a couple of members of, of the Ohio Liquor Control Board there as well. And uh, our sales guy who handles all the control states mentioned this. I didn't realize this, but Ohio is the number one state for selling chicken cock. It's become the, 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 the 
best market for, for chicken cock. And, and again, a lot of that is thanks to Scotty Bourbon Boys and all the promotion you guys have done. I, I believe it's added a lot of value to that that effort. Well, but, but people understand, you know, oh, uh, Randy, called, he said it is excellent. He does like it. And he's he's on. Let's see. The restraining order was, Randy was still on that in barrel effect, pick. Tiny. He said the restraining <laughs> order is still in effect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, the El Presidente is on tonight. Uh, glad you're joining us. But uh, so I thought he I, was Facebook fan. <laughs> well, he can see what we're doing. He just can't post. But he hasn't. Been, I don't think he's been banned lately. I have not seen that. But just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, what I would say, you were talking about. I think, like you said. When it hit Ohio, because you had been talking to us so much, and I'm not saying, but there's a certain amount of people that had brand recognition when it hit the hit the stores. It you know, if when Penelope comes through or Smoke Wagon comes through into Ohio when they release these uh, brands, Green River is going to release next next week. If people haven't heard of them, and that's what's been happening, what I've been noticing lately. Uh, Traverse City out of uh, Michigan, it's not moving. Uh, but if they if they can come up like Penelope did, when Penelope came into the state and did the picks with the Ohio, they all came up like you did when you came up to introduce the brands. Yeah. And that gives brand recognition on the shelf. And that's what we need. Because when you're sitting there and you've got to make a choice and you've got 25 that you're like intrigued by, you're going to make the choice on the ones that you have some sort of knowledge. You know, there's still, I have not had bird dog yet. <laughs> and I don't think bird I would. Peanut butter whiskey is pretty good, actually, for, yeah. for a flavored whiskey. CT likes flavored whiskeys. I'm not a fan. I like, I like all of it. I'll drink it. I'll try something. Hey, we'll put liqueur 43 in it. It's good. Oh, God. So, Greg, do you know what liqueur 43 is? Uh, I believe I, I don't know that. Okay, CT, this is your thing because I had no idea either. And we go on another podcast, okay? It's called Cleveland on the Rocks. And they start talking about this. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's basically a liqueur. And and when you go to the store, and it, this is it. So next time you're at the liquor store, look for that on the shelf. There's literally 50 bottles of this at every liquor store. I've never (laughs) known this. And if it's a crappy bourbon and you pour that in, what does it taste like? It tastes like vanilla, right? It's, it's so vanilla. Just it's yeah. It it will take any crappy bourbon, any crappy whiskey and make it. It's good. And so they were like, we were like, going on the podcast and that's exactly what they were doing. And I have to say it tasted better, but I, I, I straight up wouldn't do it. Now CT will do it because he's younger, but I'm not looking for the hangover off of liquor 43. <laughs> the, the sugar. Yeah. The sweetness. It'll, it'll, it'll it, it, it is. Def- it's sugary. So it it's, it's a, uh, it's one of those things you just do just to have fun with it and just, and obviously to experiment like, Hey, will this work or will it not? But I'm not going to sit there and drink much of it. That's for sure. You'll just do reels with Rachel. Hey, 
I will. And you know what? And I've had people come up to me already and they're like, how's that orange juice one? Because the orange juice in Liqueur 43 was amazing. <laughs> All right. So we've done that. So what, what do you want to finish up with? You've got, what, what's your last, you, he's got the Island rooster. Do you, what, what finished? Do you want to talk about the Chanticleer? I've got actually. Yeah, let's, let's talk about Chanticleer. Forget that. It's real quick. So, I've got that because you're awesome. The uh, chicken cock Chanticleer. This is uh, one of the LTO's limited time offerings. We came out uh, this past year in 2022. And uh, it's usually the last three months for the holiday season. But this is our bourbon that we actually finished in French cognac. And it's it's one of uh, the three 10 series. You know, the first one, uh, end of 2020, uh, first part of 2021, we came out with Chicken Cock Cotton Club, which was a 20-year-old, um, 20-year-old uh, Canadian rye whiskey. That was the first in the series of 10s. This one right here, I don't know if you guys are seeing it. Then the second one is the Chant de Claire, Chicken Cock Chant de Claire. Uh, it's this one right here. And then this coming... All October, November, December, you'll see on the shelf is our third and final of the series of three tens. It's going to be our chicken cock red stave. It's actually our bourbon that I'm finishing in some uh, Syrah barrels. And so I've, I've tasted, I've got a sample of it. It's been in there seven months. Uh, it's been in there eight months now, but it's, it's really coming on nicely. It's going to need to be in there at least 12 to 15 months before we actually take it out, uh, to pick up a little more flavor, but it, it's coming along nicely. So the, the chicken cock Chanticleer, this was, our, again, our bourbon finished in French cognac barrels. It's 112 proof. And, and then the, the, the complexity of the cognac, um, you know, pairing with the, uh, the bourbon flavors is just phenomenal. So, Greg, you're bringing back the, the chicken cock label and, and brand. And I think, actually, not you're bringing, it's, it's back. There's no doubt about it. People know what it is. It's it's going. Uh, you have success, but you're a consulting company, also, correct? That's right. So yeah. do I've got a number of different clients I work with. Yeah. So what I've noticed in my short time in the bourbon industry, which is only uh, coming up on four solid years, and is that palates matter. When it comes to releasing whiskey to the public, somebody who understands what good whiskey is and then also understands that there's probably about, what, 10 different palate types, you know, people who like spicy, people who don't like spicy, you know, there's, there's, there's different palate types for whiskey drinkers. I mean, it's across the board. But what I found is someone like you, um, Ann Dimmick from um, OHLQ, who I know, that you could basically go into any distillery, any distillery. And if they know what they're doing, they might be producing good whiskey. But if they don't have somebody who understands what good whiskey is, it's hard to put out good whiskey so are you being consulted are you going in 
on your palate? Does anybody like call on you to say, hey, come taste this? Let us know. And you kind of like kind of let them know what they should be doing as far as uh, take this and blend. Because that is something that you've done with uh, Grain Barrel Spirits, right? You've done mm-hmm. that. You've you've tasted stuff that, for instance, the Cotton Club. I mean, that's not something that personally you as a whiskey drinker are like, yeah, that's great. But you also understand there's a certain type of whiskey drinker that would absolutely love the fruitiness of the Cotton Club. So are people like coming to you and like, please help us? Not so much. You know, I, most of that, I mean, I've got a couple of smaller clients that I've, I've kind of given my my inside recommendations along those lines that you're talking about, Jeff. But, uh, Chicken Cock is really the, the, the true one uh, consulting client that I really focus and, and have the opportunity to focus my 45 years of industry knowledge and, and experience on, on the one brand and, 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 and give that side of the input that uh, is so critical. Uh, I've got a couple other potential clients that I'm working with that that will probably evolve into uh, playing that role as well. But um, that's uh, that's to be seen in the future. So. Oh, my God. That makes me excited. Because <laughs> <laughs> just the thing. So the Chanticleer, like you said, I pick up every time I drink the bottle, which is what I love, because it's open. Once it's opened, uh, it, it, it's evolving. And that's what I look for from a bottle. It's like every time you drink it. So tonight, the chocolate. There's a chocolate aspect of it that's just popping. Whereas I was picking up, because um, it's finished in cognac barrels, right? So a lot French of times cognac, yeah. cognac barrel finishes for me. I like Armagnac. It always seems to be a little sweeter. Cognac tends to be a little more bitter. Not not that I'm, I'm saying it's bitter to negative, but it's more um, whiskey-like. But... Tonight, after it's been in, you know, I've had this bottle since the summer of 2022, and it's drinking really, really nice. Uh, it's picking up those those chocolate flavors. Now, do you you find that too, right? As it as your bottles open, but I always find that if you, that's what happens to your bottle, you know that the stiller. Or the or the person that 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 put that bottle out knows what they're talking about or what they're doing. I, I got to give you some some insight on this. I'll never forget one because I got thrown a curve on this. You know, when we ordered the French cognac barrels, you have to go through a broker to buy those, and they shipped those two hundred twenty five liter barrels, but also three hundred liter barrels. So the wood to liquid ratio was different. Mm. And so I had to little do a more trial and error with, with the blending and, and how long, because cognac is such a powerful spirit. I mean, extremely powerful spirit profile wise. And so you don't want to leave it in there very long. As I've you know preached and told people, when I finish a whiskey in a secondary barrel, uh, the last thing I want to do is leave it in there too long. All I want to do is take that base whiskey, maintain the integrity and characteristics of that base whiskey, and just enhance the flavor a little bit. You know, I don't want, you know, don't want to taste it like a French cognac aged in a bourbon barrel, okay? Um, you know, the Island Rooster that we talked about earlier, Chris, same thing there. I've tasted some some rye whiskeys that were finished in rye, uh, rum barrels. To me, the rum barrel, they just, 
stayed in too long. And so I just yeah. wanted enough sweetness to enhance the great, the great uh, spicy peppery notes of the rye. And so then talk about yeah. your second batch that you basically dumped it, put more whiskey in there. Oh, yeah. But on the rooster. Yeah. And then you put out yeah, so, two, but talk about that. So the island, we had 25 rum barrels is all we had. And, and uh, you know, you're limited uh, on, on the volume of cases you can produce, but it was so delicious. It's 95 proof. And I, again, I still luckily have a bottle left that I, I use for an after dinner drink because uh, I think it's phenomenal. Just enough sweetness to, to take care of that sweet tooth, but, but not too much. And uh, uh, I taste it every month. And after six months, we put the, in 20, see, May of 2021, we got the barrels. Went down, nosed each barrel, made sure they hadn't turned rancid or sour. They're nice, sweet smelling. Put a rye in it, and I check it every month. After six months, in November 2021, I said, boom, that's it. We're going to dump it. So we dumped the, the whiskey out of it. Well, it was supposed to be an LTO for, for 2022. And uh, Grain and Barrel didn't want to bottle it till the first quarter of 2022. So we dumped the barrels in November 2021, put it in a tank, and held it. Until I guess it was late February of 2022, we actually bottled it. But when we dumped those barrels, they had so much rum flavor and, and, and aroma that's left in that barrel that I went ahead and said, we're going to do a second round. So we refilled the same barrels. Now, the second round took a little longer. Again, I check it every month. But this took a little over seven months to get comparable in, in, in flavor profile. You know, every time you use that barrel, you know, you're going to get less color extraction. You get less flavor extraction. Um, but but again, we put Whoa. these barrels on the upper floors, and it, it just it pulled out so much flavor in in great time. Well, so. but the second time you use that barrel, now you're pulling rum and bourbon or rye from the rye, first rye, time yeah. that you put the barrel in. Now, my question is, and this is one: is uh, when you dump into the stainless steel tubs, right? They're stainless steel. So it stops right. the aging process of the oak. Right. Do you fill it all the way to the top so that there's no air to oxidize it like it would be for a bottle? Or does it no, oxidize it's it and enclosed. change? It's enclosed. Uh, you know, those tanks are enclosed. And so it, with a little bit of oxygen that can get in there, it, it's not going uh, to lose much proof. If anything, it may lose a couple of proof points or, or a couple of tenths of proof points, actually. It doesn't lose that much. As long as you got everything sealed tight, you're good. And the flavor st stays the same. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's one thing that I've always wondered. Because, like, when we did our barrel pick with, at French Lake, they dumped it at, uh, right away. And then four months later, I got my – it was bottled in uh, three months later. And a, a month later, I got the labels. You know, it, it took a while to get there. So, you know, you – it's kind of like sometimes <laughs> you pick the barrel. So I, I suppose that's when, when you're at a barrel pick, it's boom. <laughs> so that's what you want. You're not expecting something different while they let it age another five year, five months or four months while they're waiting it for it to barrel. So they got to put it in there. But do you Great. Really, will there, do will you there really be know? another batch? Of Island Rooster, are you guys are you planning on doing another batch of it? I won't say I uh, never say never, right? As they say, uh, it's hard to say, Chris. You know, every year we're trying to look at, at new and unique innovations with with finished whiskeys. Uh, I love the Island Rooster so much. I, I think 
I'd like yeah. to see it as, a, as a, a permanent, you know, part of our portfolio. I, I think the flavors oh, are yeah. better than, than any any finished rye I've ever had. I just, I think it's, it's that good. So when people finish in rye, in rum, it doesn't matter whether it's rye or bourbon. I was a rum drinker for, for most of the time before I started drinking absinthe and then started drinking bourbon. And... I've always said I should be a pirate because I can drink as much rum as I can drink a bottle of rum and not be as drunk as four pours of bourbon. <laughs> it's just like I, for whatever reason, rum just works for me. So you put rye or bourbon in a rum barrel and you're starting to pick up those vanillas and all that, that's that, that little bit of sugar that's in that rum and it's fantastic. I mean, that's my that's my go-to, the rum barrel finishes. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, what you've done and the, what you've laid down. You've laid down certain things. You've talked about that you've laid down uh, bourbon. And then you've laid down bourbon in, your, in the barrels where you've picked every stave. We're getting there. That is really close. So once that hits, that's the barrel pick that I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We. I want. I want the first barrel pick from that that batch. Twenty four. Yes, that's, that's and probably I, when uh, it'll come come of age. So yeah. because because you've you. It's it's so awesome. We're gonna do the the bus tour again this year. And hopefully we can work it out. It sounds like we can work it out that we're at the Bardstown Bourbon Company again. And when you think about it, the first year we got to taste your new make was the summer of uh, when we did the when we did that first podcast of when when uh, when uh, 2020 when we were in uh, the the pandemic. Then we did le- the first bus tour and then the second bus tour this bus tour you've let us taste new make so this bus tour the four-year-old bourbon that that you would let us taste would be the new make that we were tasting that first year 2019 yeah so that's so exciting to me because you've taken me through the whole process now you might let it go to five years. I don't know. We, it's you're gonna. That's your call, right? Well, that's more the, uh, the top management's call. You know, they they have investors that they have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, satisfy, and, and so a lot of it. You know, it's it's going to be at least four years old. I can tell you that. Right. So that four year old hits. It might be bottled. You're probably going to be like, let me tell you when. <laughs> and you always can hold them off a little bit. I mean, that's your skill. You, you know it? me, Jeff. I, I love to, and, and uh, you know, I, I like I like to give it as much age as as, as right as it deserves. Uh, but one of the beauties of, of what I've done, and, and you, you guys know this, is that by personally and hand selecting the logs, making sure they're all tight grain oak, uh, you know, overseeing the cutting of the staves and the heading and the stacking of it. And, and making sure that they're natural air dried outside to, to leach out the harsh tannic acid to uh, open up the grain, the tight grain, so that when we do build the barrel and toast it, we're getting that heat deep into the 
into the wood and, and, and converting all that hemicellulose and lignin into all the great caramel and vanilla flavors. And so, you know, by, by paying attention to those details, the toasting, the charring and everything we do, um, you know, it, it, it creates as much flavor as that barrel has to offer. And so as I taste it every six months, and you guys, you've been there enough times, you've tasted, like I said, the new whiskey, you know, at six months, a year, two years, three years, or four years. Three years. And you get to continue every year you come. And so you guys have been one of the few that actually get to taste the progression and see how much it changed from the previous year. Uh, our four-year-old, in my opinion, since I taste it all the time, my, our four-year-old is comparable to most six-year-olds because there's so much more flavor to extract out of that, that wood. And I don't believe in accelerated maturation. You're not going to do it any faster, but in four years, you're going to have so much more flavor that you're able to extract. In that, that so do you pick the area of the Rick house that they're putting the barrels or do they do that? We, we have been, I have been able to have that luxury. Uh, as time goes on, they're so busy that they have to be careful. And so they, they have to work their way up as they build it. So um, the last barrels we put in, I think we're on the, the, uh, second or third floor. I can't remember. I prefer the, the fourth or fifth floor. Uh, and that's where most of ours have, have, have been. Uh, but again, you, you've got to work with the, the hand you dealt. And so, uh, yeah, then the, yeah, the lower the floor, the slower, the, yeah, it takes the, longer. Right. And, and yeah. the fourth or that's right around the knob Creek level. For the sweet spot, you know, that's yeah. what they call the center cut of the warehouse in the sweet spot. That's that's where the, the ideal construction is. Again, you put it on the top floor, it, it's going to age quicker, but that heat can really overdo it sometimes, overcook it, so to speak. You know? Well, I, I, so the last thing I'm going to ask you, because it's it's almost time to go, because, yeah. but, uh, so I'm of the firm belief that probably the last six, well, maybe seven, eight years of weather, the way, whether you call it climate change or climate, whatever, but the climate that's been happening in Kentucky and in Ohio, Indiana has been perfect for aging whiskey. So brands like Buffalo Trace and you take uh, their lower, their ancient age, their benchmarks, they're, they're, even after they've gone through and sifted through all these barrels to produce their higher-end whiskey, what's left is still damn good. I've just noticed that you're just looking at this level of, it's just been perfect aging temperatures. You know, it's hot summers with some cold winters, but this, I mean... I mean, I live in, in, in Ohio this year, and it's been 30s and 40s, but it hasn't been that zero or the, the, the single digits. And zero and single digits is when it's, the, the, it's all just sitting there doing nothing. But if you can keep that 30s and 40s and you hit those six, 50s and 60s all through the winter, you're, you're actually doing a little bit of aging there all through the winter, and it just seems so perfect. Have you noticed that too? It just seems like the perfect whiskey. Yeah, I think form. environmentally, yeah, our temperatures have been, been ideal for, for great maturation. And again, this year, as I mentioned earlier, in summer 2022, in Kentucky anyway, we had over 85 days that the temperatures exceeded 90 degrees Fahrenheit. 
this winter. This winter, we had some below zero temperatures. I mean, there we had what 20, 30 below with wind chill here. Yes, uh, I, I've got to replace thirty one plants in my landscaping because they're dead because they the cold killed them. I mean, it was bad. It was real. Well, hey, hey, today what did it reach eighty two here? So yes. I, I would have to think eighty one here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To be that warm this early in the year, in April. Good, and that's again, that's why ninety-five percent of bourbon is made in Kentucky because you have those wide range of, of temperatures: six months of hot temperatures, six months of cold temperatures, and it's ideal for for great whiskey maturation. Not saying you can't age great whiskey, you know, up up north in the northern states or down in, in the southern states like Texas. You know, Texas makes some great whiskey. You just got to understand how it impacts the maturation. And, and, you know, well, but, but it's also palletized. So your palate, like, I'm not a big, huge fan of Texas whiskey. It's hot, it, it, whatever. And it, it, whatever, there's every single state has their own flavor that, you know, and, and everybody, that's what I've, I've talked to Alan about. You're not supposed to compete with Kentucky whiskey. Kentucky whiskey does really good. They make some damn good whiskey. But Indiana, you can make some good whiskey in Indiana, and you can have your own flavor. And that's kind of what he does. It's the same thing. So, you know, it, it's just, you know, if you're in New York and you're making whiskey, you should make New York whiskey because Kentucky's got it covered. <laughs> so, anyways. All right. So, thank you. Uh, we lost CT. What were you doing I'm there? I got, the, the dog, I got this pup, and he continues to try to get into everything while so, I'm doing So it. he's got a great story about his, his puppy. It's a Kunau. And it's like he wanted to name it something whiskey-related, but his son Cooper told him, hell no. He wants to name it Luca. <laughs> he's just like... Well, there's, you know, he's like, I, I can't believe you told him. So, yeah, I would have been like, oh, okay. And no, then I didn't tell him. I showed him. I took him over to the Yeah, bottom. yes, but you. After a bourbon, you. Yeah, <laughs> Luca Mariano. Yeah. It's whiskey related. Yes, right? uh, yeah. So he was all on board. He's like, no, I wouldn't have even told him. I would have, let, I would have been like, after about a month, I would have been like, you know, Luca Mariano. <laughs> It's a bourbon, you know. <laughs> oh, it's funny because they didn't name them. The... Anyways, uh, so yeah. your 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 whiskey isn't conducive of a dog name. So, Greg, <laughs> you get to train him so you can take him out uh, duck hunting. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, that'd he, be great. He, he's, <laughs> that he's looks only... like much of a retriever, though, is he? Nah, well, you know what? The dog is, for three and a half months old, he is super smart and He's the first dog I've ever had, like, throwing a, a toy. Like, he has a duck, and I'll throw it. He brings it back, um, and he'll do it five, six, seven, eight times in a row. And if I throw it and he can't see it, I'll point, and he goes to where it's at. I mean, he gets it for being that young. Yeah. Yeah, dog, dogs are smart. They're, they're, they're great pets. <laughs> and Except they, when he – antagonizes me when I'm on the podcast, which no, he seems to be pretty good. They you need see? attention, especially that young. They need all the attention they can get. Yep. <laughs> all right, everybody. So uh, 
Another uh, great podcast with uh, Greg Schneider. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, thank you guys. Safe yeah. travels. <laughs> I'm going to um, first load up what I got to load up. Yep, that's there. Oh, the speaker's still on. All right, www.scotchybourbonboys.com. Check us out for all things Scotchy Bourbon Boys. Uh, we've got glasses and t shirts and uh, Scotchy Bourbon Balls. Uh, check us out on all major podcast formats. Uh, we are on uh, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and any podcast format that you listen to. And then also Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. Check us out on social media. Remember, everybody, good times equals good friends. Remember, go out there. Drink responsibly, but live your life dangerously. Little Steve-O's going to take us out. Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, don't ask why. Show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, don't ask why. For if we don't find the next whiskey bar, I tell you we must die. I tell you we must die. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you we must die. Hey, Scotchy Bourbon Boys fans, this is Alan Bishop, Indiana's Alchemist of the Black Forest. So I'm tuning in here today to tell you all about the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube. If you're at all interested in the art of distilling, whether it be home distilling or professional distilling, and the intense geekery that goes into that process, then check out the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute on YouTube. I promise you're going to learn something you didn't know before about the arts.